delighted to have you be a part of the second message in the series entitled Clean Slate, The Miracle of Forgiveness. Uh, miracle of Forgiveness. What did you hear this morning? Always interesting and horrifying to ask that question. Uh, this morning we, we, we just began the series and, and just really talked about the very first small step in, uh, in learning to forgive. Well, what did you hear? What, what, what have you thought about through the afternoon as you've reflected on the thoughts of the morning? Willingness. Yeah, willingness. What's that mean, Ronnie? What do you mean by willingness? It's the first step, just being willing to let God do the miracle in your heart. Yeah, just being, giving God the permission to let it happen. Yeah, willingness to forgive is the first step. Yeah. What else? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, Josh. Yeah, unforgiveness in itself is a very dangerous way to live your life. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous. We're going to talk more about that tonight. Uh, unforgiveness in itself is, is, is dangerous. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, this morning I did talk about it in terms of a choice you make, and truly it is a choice, but as followers of Christ, forgiveness is not something that is optional. Yeah. We talked about how anger in itself is, is not supposed to be your way of life, but forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to be the Christian's way of life. It's the way that we are in the world because of what Jesus has done for us. That means, if you can possibly understand this, it means that for the most part, you've already decided to forgive. It's, it's going to be your way of life. You forgive people in advance. So you do not plan on holding grudges. It's simply not going to be your way of life. Uh, to put it in the words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, haters going to hate and players going to play, but you're going to Shake it off. Yeah, shake it off. Yeah, absolutely. Players going to play. And Matt Betts walks in at exactly that moment. Perfect timing. Yeah, players going to play. Haters going to hate. But we're going to shake it off. We said this morning that that very honestly, we save forgiveness for the big things and not the little things because life is full of little annoyances and slights and disappointments. And you just simply got to learn to shake those things off. You, You can't try to possibly hold every little thing as if it's a big thing, and knowing the difference between the little things and the big things is a real sign of maturity. This is what we said this morning, but that does not mean that there are not very, very deep hurts and very, very big things that will occur to us, and and that is what forgiveness is for. There's an old saying, an old quote that says this, explain what it means to me. It says, to forgive is to set the prisoner free. To forgive is to set the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was you. What's that mean? To forgive is to set the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was you. Yeah, uh, not forgiving blocks our relationship with God, and to be in a situation where our very relationship with God is blocked is a dangerous thing. Yeah. What else? To forgive is to set the prisoner free, only to realize that the prisoner is you. Yeah, not to forgive uh, 
It's like chains. It's like shackles on us, Jackie says. And sometimes we don't even realize how very, very uh, shackled we are until we ourselves are set free by, by forgiveness. Um, which takes us back to the Genesis story, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Let's back up a little bit, talk about the brothers, and talk about the miracle of forgiveness in Joseph's life. Let's start in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 37. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So we would call Joseph a what? Tattletale. Yeah. Nobody likes a tattletale. So the very first introduction to Joseph is he's sort of a tattletale and nobody likes a tattletale. Verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. What? What? Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. It just says it right out loud there. I mean, even if you did, you wouldn't admit that, would you? Can you have favorites? Well, in this family, they do. In this family, they do. Where did Jacob learn to do that? Where did Jacob learn to play favorites? Yeah, remember, if you go back, Jacob, his, his father was, Jacob's father was Isaac, remember? And Isaac and Rebekah. And in that family, they had favorites. And Jacob was mama's favorite, and Esau was daddy's favorite. And so this is something that runs in families. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph a beautiful robe, a coat of many colors, a coat with long sleeves. It's hard to translate the Hebrew, actually, but we know it's beautiful. It's extravagant. And the other brothers didn't get one. His brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? They hated him even more. Okay, How many times now have they learned to hate him even more? Every time Joseph opens his mouth, his brothers hate him even more. They hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about it. So Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Why can't he shut up? Told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. He said, the sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as to his brothers. And his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? While his brothers were jealous of Joseph? His father wondered what the dreams meant. Y'all know how the story goes. This is where we picked up this morning. The brothers eventually hated him to the point where they couldn't stand the sight of him. So they figure out a way to remove him from their sight. What's their strategy? Their first thought was, let's kill him. And then they said, nah, he's our brother. He's our brother. Let's don't kill him. Let's sell him. Yeah. yeah. And, And so they sell 
Joseph. Joseph lives most of his life after that in, in Egypt. We don't know a lot of what happens in Joseph's heart. But by the time we get to Genesis 50, and flip, flip back over, we read it this morning, but go back to Genesis 50. By the time we get to the end of Joseph's life, by the time he's reunited with his brothers, it's obvious that the miracle of forgiveness has happened in Joseph's heart. Back to what we read this morning. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Now that the father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers. Are y'all buying that? Are y'all buying that? Y'all think that, I mean, they could have brought this up before now. Oh, before daddy died, he said, you need to forgive us. I don't know. We don't know. We, we don't know if they're honest. These, again, these are guys who would kill their brother. I think they'd lie too. But, but anyway, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, we, what? We beg you to forgive our sin. What happens right there? Whether or not the father ever said, forgive him, what does Joseph get then and there? He gets the apology. They ask for forgiveness. It's, it's a little bit late, but, but he gets the apology. We, we, we beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. The obvious part of the whole story is that even before he sees them again, long before he gets the apology that honestly must have been very, very welcome to his soul, he's already forgiven them. He's already forgiven them. The first time he lays eyes on them, several chapters back, he already has a very tender heart toward them. So understand, this miracle of forgiveness that happens in Joseph's heart is, is a rather beautiful and complete miracle, but it happens without several things. It happens long before he has the opportunity to be reunited with his brothers. He may not even expect that he ever will see them again, and yet still, the miracle of forgiveness happens beautifully and completely, even before he sees them. So before reconciliation, before there's a repair of the relationship, there's forgiveness, so let's make that thing straight. When we're talking about forgiveness, we're not always talking about reconciliation. They're two separate things. They're two separate things. Sometimes forgiveness is followed by reconciliation and repair of relationship. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes reconciliation is absolutely impossible. Sometimes the person you're forgiving is dead. And will never, ever be in your life again. Forgiveness is still necessary, but reconciliation will never happen. Sometimes the person you must forgive is never going to come back to you. So even though your heart is soft and you've forgiven them completely and you would welcome them back into your life, they're never coming back. You can make choices about how you will relate to them, but you can't make choices about how they will relate to you. I'm simply saying that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. And Joseph manages to forgive his brothers completely even before he, he has a chance to meet them and, and repair that relationship. 
He also has the complete miracle of forgiveness before they ever apologize. Now, this is where some of you are right now. You're thinking, well, Brother Tim, I will be more than happy to forgive her after she apologizes. I will forgive her after she says she's sorry. When I get my apology, I'll be more than happy to forgive. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. You are letting that person control whether or not you have a heart that's pure before God. Understand? Forgiveness is completely possible long before you get your apology. Joseph doesn't get his apology for years and years and years after he manages to forgive his brothers. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story. But, but back up to the beginning. Let's go all the way back. Talk about the feelings that Joseph's brothers have toward him. How do they feel about him? They learn to hate him. They learn to despise him. They hate him to the point where they could kill him, and they would have. Why didn't they forgive him? I mean, this has been a very different story, been a shorter story, actually. If, if way back there, they just forgive their brother for being a jerk. I mean, he is. Joseph is the kind of guy that, that anybody would want to throw in a pit. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, how many times could you come to breakfast and hear another one of his dreams about how awesome he is? I would throw him in a pit. I mean, wouldn't you? But, but why is it, do you think, that forgiveness is never an option in this family? Hatred is an option. Murder is an option. Selling your brother into slavery is a pretty good option. But, but it never seems to occur to forgive. Why is forgiveness just simply something that nobody ever considers? That you would forgive your brother for his shortcomings, his failure, his arrogance. Why would you choose hate and murder? Answer me. It's, you think it's easier to hate somebody? Wow. Yeah. Why is it easier just to hate them? Hatred is exhausting. You ever really hated anybody? Man, when you hate them, you think about them, you have them for breakfast, you have them for lunch, you have them for dinner. I mean, you just put almost all of your energy into spite. Hatred's exhausting, and yet for many of us, it's, it's the easier route. Why is that easier? It's a learned behavior. Wow. Who is it that sends us to hatred school? Yeah, often, often our parents. Yeah, again, if you go back, if you read the whole book of Genesis, the family story here is absolutely fascinating. Now, there is back in the story one family member who turns out to be a very, very good forgiver. Who would that be? Esau. Yeah, Jacob and Esau. Remember Uncle Esau here. Jacob was horrible to his brother. I mean, again, these things get passed down in families. And from your own parents or grandparents, you may have inherited a habit of hatred, a habit of bitterness, a habit of holding grudges. And I'm telling you, this is something that you don't have to pass on to your children, but you probably will unless you make deliberate efforts in Christ to change things. We hand these things down in our families. And you can see how sons continue to repeat the sins of their fathers all through the book of Genesis. But Esau was an amazing and wonderful forgiver. 
But for the most part in this family, that they choose hatred. They, they choose even, even murder over the, what seems like in some ways a, a simpler choice, would, which would be to forgive. Now, Linda said that hatred is a path we choose because it seems easier in the, in the short run. Why does forgiveness seem like such a difficult choice? I think it's this. I think that forgiveness seems difficult because, uh, I don't know how to say this. Um, forgiveness seems like a really good deal for them and a really bad deal for me. You know what I'm saying? The person who hurt me, the person who offended me, the, the, the person who's not sorry, although I think they're sorry, you understand? That, that person, uh, for me to forgive her seems like a really good deal for her. She gets let let off, you understand? She gets off the hook. And, and, I, and I have to give up my anger and I just have to let it all go. And she just gets to go on and live her life as if it never happened. And, and, and something about that just flies right up my nose. You understand? It sounds like a really, really good deal for, for, for the person and a really bad deal for me. So let's talk about that tonight in, in, in just sort of wrapping up this day. A lot of people will never make the choice to forgive until they recognize the benefits for them. At this point, the idea of doing the person who hurt you a favor does not appeal to you. And as long as you're thinking of it as a really good deal for them and a really wrong deal for you, then probably you'll never take this step. So let's talk really, really honestly about what it means to forgive. Let's talk for a second about some of the things we tell ourselves. Talk to me back here. Uh, if I forgive, they'll never know the severity of what they've done. I've heard somebody say that. If I forgive, they'll never learn their lesson. See, sometimes I feel like the longer I'm mad, then the, 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 the sooner they'll recognize how badly they've hurt me. They'll learn their lesson. I'll teach them their lesson. I'll stay mad. Yeah. Does that work? Yeah. Probably not for the very simple reason that most people don't learn lessons. I mean, have you been out of the house, walked around, you've been to the dollar store? Nobody learns nothing ever, and probably you're not going to teach anybody anything by staying mad. He's not here tonight to tell you the story himself, but, but some, sometime ask Tommy Newton about the time he had the one-man feud against Burger King. Tommy got mad at Burger King. Now, I don't remember what happened. It just went way back. I don't know if he got a bad whopper or, or, or what, but Tommy got mad at Burger King. And so Tommy decided he was going to do a one-man boycott. He would never go back to Burger King. He was going to show Burger King. Okay? Well, for years, Tommy Newton, you couldn't get him in a Burger King. And sometimes, man, I was really wanting a Whopper and some onion rings, you know. But, I mean, he won't go. You know, it was a principal thing. If you act like you're going to turn the car in Burger King, he'd open the door and get out. He was not going to Burger King. And I was thinking, Tommy, dude, it's Burger King. They don't care about you. They're doing fine without you. If you never eat another Whopper in your whole life, Burger King's fine. You understand? You're not hurting Burger King. And to this day, I don't think Burger King ever cared that Tommy Newton was on a one-man crusade to shut him down. Understand? Only person he hurt was himself and me. I, I missed some Whoppers in there, man. I, couldn't get him to Burger King. Tommy finally gave up. You know, he dropped the rope and the war was over. 
You understand? I, I mean, who you really think you're hurting here? You think you're going to teach somebody a lesson by staying mad? You know, for the most part, they're not even affected but by this. And, and this is the point. It's only you. This is your heart that we're talking about. Well, if I forgive, they win. If I forgive, they win. Really? Is this really about who's winning and who's losing? Because honestly, this life you're living of, of anger and bitterness and pain, it doesn't look like it to me that you're winning any prizes here. Do you think you're a winner because you're able to live your life in such misery and hatred? Do you really think you're winning something here? Well, if I forgive, I'll get burned again. If I forgive, they'll just, they're just going to hurt me again. Well, understand, forgiveness isn't the same thing as just lining up and let them hurt you again. We're not talking about that. Forgiveness doesn't excuse or act like that person ever hurt you. To forgive is to take with utter seriousness the offense. And certainly, you wouldn't put yourself in a relational situation to be injured again. Forgiveness doesn't require that. Do you really think that somehow by, by not forgiving, you're, you're protecting yourself? Here's the hard one. You ever, you ever been in a situation of forgiving somebody, and you need to forgive them, but actually they're blaming you? I hate that one. You know, they blame me. Actually, they're the ones that are wrong, but, but they say I'm the wrong one, and that makes it just worse. I don't want to forgive them because they think it's me. That they blame me. If I forgive them now, then they're going to think that I offended them. It just gets so really complicated. One of the interesting things, though, is the way we can use forgiveness as a weapon. And some of you do this. You do this. You'll forgive, but it's not really forgiveness at all. It's just like saying, you know, I forgive you for being, I forgive you for being ugly and stupid. Is that forgiveness? No, no. Yeah. Sometimes we use forgiveness like that. My forgiving you is just a way to let you know how sorry you are. And it has nothing to do with trying to purify my heart before the Lord or even repair a relationship. It just has more to do with my desire to put myself above you, to, to, to make myself somehow superior. So what happens when you don't forgive? Jackie says that not forgiving is, is, is like being shackled. We said that forgiveness is, is setting the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was you. What happens when you don't forgive? I, I said this morning that, that often we find ourselves um, getting really, really upset and angry about very small things. And, and sometimes we do that out of a lack of maturity, but, but also that that anger becomes a way of life. And so we get to the point where our, our fuse is just so short, we blow up all the time o over everything. And it probably has to do with this unsettled issue, that this, this, this person all the way back there that you need to forgive. But, but now the anger just becomes a, a way of life for you. And there are a lot of people who, who just live life that way. You get mad over small things, you can't let anything go because honestly that anger has absolutely taken over your life. This unforgiveness is like a roadblock. I talked about it this morning in one of the services in relation to our revival last fall. Many of you were making steps toward Christ and then you got to the point where this, this unforgiveness in your heart was revealed and, and that's the place where you stopped. 
Now, I don't say that in judgment over you. I recognize that getting to that place brought you to the place where you could not do it on your own. It's not in you, in your heart to forgive. In order to forgive, you must go much, much deeper in Christ. I recognize that, but this is what you're being asked to do now. Move much, much deeper in Christ so that Christ is able to do his work in your heart. But this unforgiveness will block you. It will block you spiritually. It will block you relationally. It will poison all your other relationships. Unforgiveness, I would say, is like cancer in the sense that it's destroying you from the inside. Now, on the outside, you may function in a lot of ways. And some people have no idea the hatred that is within your heart. But that hatred, that bitterness continues to grow like, like a cancer. I would also say it's, it's like a shark in the sense that when a shark tastes blood, what happens? It, it goes into a frenzy. And some of you are, are, are like that. The idea of retaliation or revenge, it just sort of thrills you. It energizes you. And you're sort of waiting for the moment when you can get ahead or, or you can get one up on that person. The, the idea of, of retaliation or revenge, getting even, is all-consuming like a shark that smells blood in the water. I'd also say the unforgiveness in your life is kind of like secondhand smoke. Any of you ever grow up in a house where parents or grandparents smoked? Basically, that means you smoke too. Now, you didn't mean to, but, but everything they breathed out, you had to breathe in. And that secondhand smoke affected you even though it wasn't you. And, and if you're that person who can't forgive... The people around you, your children, your spouse, everybody else, um, they're, they're, they're breathing in your lack of forgiveness. They're having to inhale your anger. It affects them. And in many, many ways, your children are, are going to learn from you, and they're going to be like you. And this is why I say you have to learn to stop this cycle now. It's like secondhand smoke. I'd also say it's like Monopoly money. When I was a kid and first discovered Monopoly, I thought, what, you're telling me we have a box of, of money? And did you ever think that? Or then once you realize that it's not real money, you start thinking, oh, what if it was? Man? What, what would I do with all these $100 bills? But, but it's Monopoly money, which means you can't use it to purchase anything of value. It's, it's, it's worthless. Your anger is precious to you. This grudge that you hold is precious to you. You defend it like it is the most valuable treasure. But it is worthless. It will buy you nothing. And it's getting you nowhere. And the only thing that this anger allows you to purchase is this incredible mountain of spite that you must continue to climb every single day of your life. Your anger buys you nothing. So, forgiveness, uh, what's in it for you? Let's take two verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Go with me there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15. I love the sound of turning pages. Look after each other. We're talking about the church. We're talking to the church. And I love this. Look after each other. What's that mean? Simply, tell me. 
Look after each other. Yeah, yeah, I have your back. You should have my back. And you had a little brother, little sister, and you're going to school, and your mama says, hey, look after your little sister. What did that mean? Don't push her into traffic. Yeah, you, you watch her. You take care of her. You would try to protect and keep her from danger. You try to care for her. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Okay, we're talking about forgiveness now and what the benefits are for the one who forgives. And what does the scripture say? Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up. Now, if there's a poisonous root of bitterness, where's that going to grow? It's going to grow inside. We're talking about something that grows in, in someone's heart. Now, this person that you're angry at, this person that doesn't deserve your forgiveness, this person who's never apologized, and you are still angry and still bitter after all of these years, where is that poisonous root of bitterness going to grow? In their heart? No, this is in your heart. This anger, this lack of forgiveness is, is, is like a poisonous root of bitterness. Poisonous root. We're using like a garden metaphor, a poisonous root. It's like poison ivy. Poison ivy. What's poison ivy like? It's, it, it's a vine. It grows. How does it grow? You need to take a lot of care of it, right? It needs miracle grow. You'll just have to, really, you'll have to water it. No. Poison ivy will grow all the time. You know, in these big Kentucky droughts we've had the last few summers, all my grass will die, but I'll have poison ivy. It'll just grow. We got a patch of poison ivy that actually tries to grow in one of our flower beds outside by the fellowship hall. You know, we've dug it up, we've killed it, we sprayed Roundup on it, but it'll just come up every spring with all the daffodils. Boom. It, it, it just comes up. It's, it's like this poisonous root. It's, it, it's a root, which means it's, it's underground. You can't always see it, but, but it's always growing. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It, it, it grows up in you, but it will cause trouble for, for, for many. So how does forgiving benefit the forgiver? Let's start there. According to this verse, my choice to forgive, my willingness to let Christ do the work in me, how's that going to benefit me? What does that do? It, it removes that root of bitterness. It, it nips it at the bud. It, it, it plucks that out once and for all for good. There's no longer this poison, this, this cancer growing inside of me. It, it purifies my heart. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12. In this morning's passage, one of the things I love out of Genesis chapter 50, I'll, I'll turn back there, you don't have to, Genesis 50, I, I love when Joseph's brothers uh, apologize to him, and, and they come to him in fear, and he says in verse 19, don't be afraid of me, am I God? Interesting. Don't be afraid of me, am I God that I would punish you, that I should punish you? It's interesting that in that miracle of forgiveness for Joseph, one of the things he recognizes is I'm not God, and it is not my place to, to even the score here. You harmed me, 
But it is not my place to even the score. It's not my place to punish you. It goes back to what is said in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. This is good. Dear friends, never take revenge. Interestingly, the Greek word there that's translated never, it means never. That means when you're really good, hot, and mad, you're not the exception. Understand? You are not the exception. It is not that whoever has harmed you has somehow harmed you in such a way that you are now allowed to take revenge. You're allowed not to forgive. You become the exception in all of Christian history. You are the one person who is excused from forgiving. No, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. What? If your hungries are, enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And I like the idea of heaping burning coals on their head. Is that what it's talking about? You're going to kill them with kindness. Just grin. Do nice stuff for them and just, and just kill them with kindness. This is how you get your revenge, people. Act nice and hate them in your heart. Heap coals of fire on their heads. Is that what the scripture says? Kill them with kindness. You just be nice, you'll kill them that way. No, 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 not at all. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame. The idea is there is, is by not returning evil for evil, you overcome evil with good. In, in other words, when someone hates you, if, if, if you choose not to become another hater, but instead you, you answer that with genuine love, th- then hopefully that love, that light in you exposes the darkness in them. They become aware of their shame and, and therefore repent. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What's it mean to leave room for God's wrath? You leave room for God's wrath. What's it mean? Leave room for God's anger. Yeah, you let God take care of it. If someone is to harbor anger here, leave room for God's anger. It's not going to be you. You're not God. This is one of the most difficult things to acknowledge when you've been hurt, when someone has wronged you. Remember in Psalm 51, which we read earlier in in this worship service, the psalmist says, God, it is against you and you only that I have sinned. Now, if you know anything about David's story behind that psalm, he he actually, man, he wasn't really good to Uriah. You remember? The one whose wife he stole and they had him killed. I mean, it seems like David had sinned against a lot of people, but the real recognition is that when I sin, it's my sin is ultimately against God because God is the Holy One and God is the one whose laws we break. So sin is sin and sin is always against God. So very, very honestly, if someone has sinned against you, their sin's not against you, it's against God. You were affected by their sin. You may have been the victim of their actions, but But it is God who will be their judge, and it is God who will punish those who need to be punished. That's not your place. You leave room for 
the wrath and anger of God, the righteous anger of God. I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. It's, it's not for you. When you begin to plan revenge, when you begin to plot getting even, when you hold that grudge as if you are the one to judge, you're putting yourself in the place of God. To forgive is to set the prisoner free, only to realize that the prisoner was you. You probably aren't going to be willing to forgive as long as you're thinking that it's a really good deal for them and a really, really raw deal for you. I just want you to understand, according to Scripture, there are incredible benefits to the one who will choose the path of forgiveness. Anger is not a way to live your life. Forgiveness is. As, as Chris said earlier, forgiveness is not really optional. It's not something we choose if we want to be a champion of faith. Forgiveness is the only path in following after Christ. He forgives me, and that forgiveness flows through my life. Forgiveness truly becomes my way of being in the world. So, so that means, in a very real sense, I can forgive in advance. I make up my mind to live my life this way. I won't hold grudges. You may hurt me, but it will never be my choice or my option to plot revenge for you. Because when I do that, I let evil overcome me. When I allow your sins toward me, your offense of me, when I allow that to begin to control me, when I allow that to begin to grow in my heart like a bitter root, I've allowed you to make me your slave. I become a slave to my hatred. I become a victim forever to whatever you've done for me. It is as if I am put in bondage to forgive is to set the prisoner free, only to realize that the prisoner all along was yourself. So like we said this morning, it's like tug of war. When you let go, the war is over. And in this case, when you choose to let Christ do the forgiving through you, maybe for the first time in your life, you're set free. You don't have to live with this. Forgiveness will make an incredible difference in your life for the better. Why would you not choose that? Let's have one more prayer and then a song and we'll we'll close. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't really know how it will happen. We don't know what it will mean, but we want to choose this path of forgiveness. Lord Jesus, it is in our heart to harbor grudges. Some of us sort of have had these bitter roots of hatred, of anger, of pain growing in our souls for years. And Lord, the roots go down deep. We Don't know how we would begin to pluck them out now, Lord Jesus. Only you can do that. You and you alone know our hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that as a church, we will learn how to watch over each other and care for each other. Lord, I pray that we'll never let the bitter roots grow up between us. Lord, in spending any amount of time with people, with each other, Lord, we are bound to hurt each other and be hurt by one another, Lord. It is inevitable. We are humans. We are sinners. We do not love well. 
Lord, the only possible way that we can continue together, the only way that we can stay together year in and year out, the only possible way that we can love each other till the end is if we learn to forgive. We have to learn, Lord, not to harbor grudges, not to let the bitter roots grow up. So tonight, Lord, as a church family, as brothers and sisters, help us to love you most of all that we might learn to love each other well. Lord, pray that you would pluck out all of the bitter roots within us. Teach us to love and forgive as you have loved and forgiven us. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. We'll sing. Would you stand?